0: Praise the Lord. Man, what a, what a wonderful uh, presence this morning. Amen. I don't know um, if you're not used to this kind of uh, saying, but I, I can sense his presence in this place. And the, the worship, you know, when we worship and we get ourselves out of the way and we get us out of the way and get focused on him, it's a whole different scenario. Amen. We're starting a series today. <clears throat> I know last week the power of Easter and what God has given us through his son Jesus Christ is, is past since. We've already received it. But I'm starting a series today called Intersections. Um, we're going to continue in the book of John, and we're just we're sort of taking a look at it, and I'm, I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself on this, but we're now looking at the life of Jesus that is still taking us to the cross. But it's, it's how Jesus... And what happens when Jesus crossed paths with people? What happens at the intersections of life when people cross paths with Jesus? What happens at the intersection of your life when you cross paths with people? When you are in decision-making mode? Now, we hear this phrase used a lot of different ways. Crossroads. Uh, You're crossing paths. Decisions. (laughs) Fork in the road. You know, it's like a... The old saying by, I forget the name of the catcher, oh goodness, Um, but he was just a hilarious baseball player for many, many years, and Yogi Berra, thank you. If you see a fork in the road, take it, right? (laughs) Well, we're trying to decide by looking at the life of Jesus throughout the rest of John, what it looks like when someone crossed paths with Jesus. Come up to that intersection. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to set this passage up, so if you go ahead and turn in your Bibles to John chapter 8, and I, I need to preface this by simply saying, depending on what translation you're using, <clears throat> John chapter 8, actually John chapter 7 verse 53, through John chapter 8 verses 1 through 11, depending on your translation, it may even say something like this, um, this was not a part of the original gospel of John. It's, it's over time been added in that cannot be found in some of the original manuscripts. Now, before you fearfully decide not to believe parts of the Bible, what I want to encourage you to do, there, there's a lot of different research, without um, getting into the church history here, there's a lot of different research that goes in to what we know as the canonization of Scripture. Um, it wouldn't be there if it didn't fit there. Now, I'm not asking you to trust me on this. Um, it's the research behind it that we're needing to trust. So I wouldn't be talking about it if it was not uh, scriptural. Okay, does that make sense? So if, if you're, I just, I'm prefacing that. Your Bible may not say anything, and you're like, why did he bring that up? I, I really believed him up till now. <laughs> I'm saying that because the more you study God's Word, you're going to cross paths with scriptures and references that's why there's called critical analysis and critical text theory, because when you do exegesis, this is where I'm going to bore you for 30 seconds, when you really start studying the Word of God and breaking it down, you don't read just one verse and take it for right there. Even when you study a verse by verse, you realize it's his story, cumulatively. So it's, it's understanding what God is doing throughout. So for this to be added like it is, fits powerfully. Now, that being said, let me set this up before we read it, because when we started John many, many weeks ago, we we talked about in John chapter 1 that Jesus is the Word, and don't forget the whole purpose of John can be found in John chapter 19 and 20. These signs were done in the presence of the disciples so that people would believe that Jesus is the Christ, and even in chapter 20, it says this book was written so you would believe the testimony that is written and lived out before you. Why? Because that's how things get passed down. Uh, just very quickly. <clears throat> In the early church, after the apostles had passed, okay, whether they had been killed or died naturally, most of them were killed, martyred. If, if you were an apostle, one of the original leaders that saw Jesus, you were called an apostle. But as time progresses, apostles had those that they were teaching, and some of the people they were teaching never physically saw Jesus. So they had to believe the apostles who said, oh, I saw it. You can believe it. Have there been things that that you have seen in life that if somebody challenged you, you would say, well, you can have your own belief if you want to, but I believe it because I saw it. That's why it's very important for you to understand that throughout history, you cannot take for granted that people have been seeing and experiencing from the time the apostles started passing this down and meticulously making sure the right things are on paper. Now, um, do you believe in human error? Oh, yeah. But, But thank God for the Holy Spirit, right? Now, I say that because when he tells us He wants us to believe this. That's why it was written. That's why these signs are done. It's because the way John starts off is by proclaiming a few things. He doesn't start off with the Christmas story. He doesn't start off with the genealogy for the Jewish believers to help believe that Jesus had a genealogy that led back to David. He starts with the original beginning. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. He says He was the light in the life of men. That men were not the light, but He was the light. John, immediately in chapter 1, starts setting up by identifying who Jesus is. I just think about that for a second. I'm setting up chapter 8. Think about that for a second. He's the Word. He's life. He's light. The Word became flesh. As Jesus is calling His disciples, He's called the king, Christ, the king, the Messiah. By the time he gets to John chapter 2, he performs his first miracle, and this is considered the book of signs. He performs his first miracle, which is the wedding at Cana, and it wasn't a planned miracle, but how many know that moms have a plan? Okay, so we'll leave it at that. But even in that, we see that Christ has a way of touching us where we need to be touched because even then, and I'm going to move through this quickly, even then, Jesus points to the purification pots for them to feel with the ordinary so he can make extraordinary. Everything points to him being the answer. There's something that you don't expect that's coming and you think it's ordinary, but it's going to be the best. What used to bring purification is no longer going to be purification because the one who will purify is here. And so miracle after miracle. And as you walk through chapter 2 and 3, 4, 5, Jesus ends up making his first I am statement, I am the bread. And then he scatters a lot of the disciples because he says, if you do not eat this bread, uh, that is my body, and drink my blood, you will have nothing to do with them. And they're like, we don't understand, see ya. Now all along here, Jesus is teaching, having different times of teaching. And in chapter 7 he's going to the Feast of Tabernacles. They're preparing for this feast. Jesus initially was not going to go. But then he goes. And he's teaching. And I'm not even, this is not even on the PowerPoint, but there's one little verse in there that, that they're complaining because they're like this guy is reading our mail and hasn't even studied. Jesus is Speaking with authority. Je- Jesus is speaking the oracles of God. And they are incredibly frustrated because they want him to prove his authority. They want him to prove himself. They want him to prove who he is. And this sort of sets us up to verse uh, 53 of chapter 7, actually. If you'll throw that scripture up there. I-, I love this last little verse. And it says this. and everyone went to his own house. Now, for the rest of this message, I'll only reference this just right now, and then I'll leave this passage alone. But listen, in about 45 minutes, you're going to have to go to your own house. And see, up till now, if you'll you'll read this passage, if you'll read John 1 through John chapter 7, people are constantly having to make decisions. And so you can make a lot of decisions today. But it's the decision that you make when you get home. How you are going to live it out? Because at some point, everybody goes to their own home. Everybody goes to their own place of business. Everybody goes to their own families. And it's really, even if you're watching where you are right now, it really doesn't matter how excited you get right now. It's will you live this out? Everybody wants to eat when Christ is feeding the 5,000. But will you still believe when you need bread tomorrow? Everyone wants to be a part of walking on the water. They just don't want the storm. Right? So I'm just saying, if this is a powerful point that I just want to drive home with you. When we go home, I'm, I've been praying for God to allow this to sink into us in such a way that you're talking about this on Wednesday. Not, not because of the great skill, but because of the power of his word. I'm praying that, that God sort of challenges us because here's the reaction that I'm getting from a lot of people in this, in this present time that we're living. And I'm hearing it from a lot of leaders, a lot of people. They know the world is changing, but it's time for us to move forward with a boldness. Not an arrogance, but a boldness. Not even a boldness with volume. Sometimes we confuse volume... With boldness. no volume is just turning things up a little bit. You can be scared and loud at the same time. You can be unconfident, and you can lack confidence and loud at the same time. But a boldness that says, no matter what, I'm following Jesus. It may have to be spoken, it may have to be lived out, but it's a boldness that says, I will not turn back. So now what what is he saying in this passage that I want us to look at this morning? Let's read. Starting in verse uh, 53, and I'm going to read straight through to verse 11. And everyone went to his own house, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Now early in the morning he came again to the temple, and all the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. Then the scribes and the Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned, but what do you say? And this said, they said this testing him, that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. So when they continued asking him, He raised himself up and said to them, Who is without sin among you? Let him throw a stone at her first. And again he stooped down to write on the ground. Then those who heard it being convicted by their conscience went out and one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. And Jesus was left alone, the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, Where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Excuse me. I really can't go any further in this passage without talking about one little issue that we all sort of wrestle with. Excuse me. One little issue. There really is sin. There really is sin. Listen, i got to be honest with you. The more I hear people try to water this down, you don't even need Jesus. You know, if there's no sin, you don't need a Savior. If you're not drowning, you don't need a lifeguard. If the house isn't burning, you don't need a fire truck. Okay, I'm trying to make sure you guys get this. Because here's here's the thing about sin. There's the sin of omission and the sin of commission. It's easy for us to get hooked up on the committing sins. And what I mean by that is pointing out everybody else's commitment to sin. (laughs) Uh, But the the sin of omission is very real too. what, What we should be doing. Now let me... Uh, Many of you probably have incredibly academic, theologically based definitions of sin, but but here in its its finest, um, simplest form is what sin is, anything that stops you from pursuing and being and glorifying the purposes of God in your life, anything, anything. But Pastor, that, you hit on something because that's what I've been praying for. What's my purpose? You know what, what is God? God has created us to glorify him and enjoy him forever. As a matter of fact, if you go back to Genesis 1, it's real simple. He created man and man and woman. And he said, Now go, multiply, be fruitful, subdue. That word subdue in a fallen world means. Take over. Dominion in a fallen world means dominate. And when you read that through a broken world lens, you think we're supposed to go out and conquer and dominate. It's his kingdom. No, actually what subdue, it, in the original garden, what subdue meant was this is yours, now take care of it. It's a little bit deeper than stewardship, though. Th- this is yours, you control it, Don't let it control you. I'm not going to stay here very long. But when you think about all the things that control you, that you should be controlling. In, In the original garden, we were supposed to be in control. Have dominion. He doesn't mean dominate and look down on. He means it's his kingdom when you pour yourself into something, it's to build it up, not dominate it by authority and rule, and they're going to, don't you forget who the boss is. See, that's our fallen perspective of dominion. The kind of multiplying, fulfilling, subduing in dominion he was talking about, when he created man and woman... And I could even get into some marriage stuff right now because I'm telling you, it's all about us being created in his image with the purposes of fulfilling, subduing, dominating, being an example to the world as marriage. But when that gets misconstrued and we lose the purposes of any of that, we dominate for the wrong reason, we subdue for the wrong reason, we multiply for the wrong reason, and marriage goes out the window. Now, what happens in any culture or society when those kind of things start to slip away? I don't know. Look around. Do you know why it might be uh, very important for us to make sure the Word of God is going forward? Because people every day in the world are going to their own homes and living sort of like they want to, rather than the purposes of God. Now, I'm not trying to... uh, I'm not trying to get confusing about this. I'll, I'll meet and talk with anybody after church if you want to. But Sin is anything that keeps you from fulfilling God's purpose. It breaks that relationship with him. Okay? And when that relationship is broken, you know, we look at the Old Testament and all the laws, man, gosh, he's just a hammer, man. He just made up this big long list of don't, 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 don't. And, you know, we're just trying to survive here. He didn't give us those long list of don'ts. It's helping us understand that without him, here's his law that we'll never live up to. We'll never live up to it because of the fall. And the, the list isn't there to crush us. If you could follow that list, you wouldn't believe how beautiful your life could be. Imagine a world that there was no killing. You know, by the way, everything we're talking about is going to be restored. Everything we're talking about, there is going to be a new heaven and a new earth, by the way. But until then, we experience a taste of that powerfully in Jesus Christ. Because if there was no killing, life would be a good place. If, as a matter of fact, we were watching the news very quickly this morning before I came to the church, and I looked up and they had a, a, a piece of car glass or something with bullet holes all in it, and the way they were, the way they were sharing it was, I thought it was like here in Virginia Beach somewhere that happened last night. And Diane's like, no, I think that's like in Minnesota or something. I'm like, why are they showing me news from Minnesota on a Sunday morning in Virginia Beach? Because even the media just wants to keep all the negative, everything it can in front of you to keep us scared witless. But instead of keeping you scared, I'd like for you to start thinking about it as being encouragement. Okay, I just lost some of you, I know. But how do I mean encouragement? Listen, guys. All that bad stuff you see, God didn't give us a bunch of rules to hammer us. That stuff wouldn't be happening if the world was what it was supposed to be. If people were living according to their purpose. If people were living according to how things could be. Everybody in this room has experienced how things aren't. Now, I'm saying all that to say this, sin is real, and for some reason, if you think in your mind, sin is not real, it's not that big of a deal, then salvation means nothing anyway. Needing to be saved means nothing anyway. Now, this isn't the problem in this story. It is the problem, I believe, in our culture. And I'll tell you why in just a minute. I really do have a, a John McCloud theory on this, that... I'm not throwing that out there as gospel, but I think it'll make sense in a minute. Because there's three different people I want us to look at in this story. Number one, there's the self-righteous. There are those who are self-righteous. Now, we read the story a moment ago. You you are pretty familiar with the story, it sounds like. But the self-righteous in this story, they're not trying to help Jesus prove his authority They're trying to catch Jesus in a story. Now, here's what it looks like in that context. They're trying to catch Jesus because he's speaking in authority. He's speaking as the Christ. As a matter of fact, on the last day of the feast, Jesus even stands up and says, If anyone is thirsty, I'm giving out water, and you'll never thirst again. Now, that's the way to wrap up a feast, right? Not to the leaders. Jesus was speaking of the Holy Spirit, which he had not yet given. But the leaders were still saying, oh, man, what are we going to do with this guy? So they plan a setup. They plan to set him up. So they go find a woman who was caught in adultery. Now I'm not going to get lost in all the, you know, where's the guy in the story. That's all too much common sense. See, but it's amazing what we leave out <clears throat> when we're only trying to prove the word to, to do what we want the word to do. See, they're trying to catch Jesus because he wasn't matching up with their word. And they're just trying to connive and manipulate Jesus so they could get him to confess, if you will, or catch him in a, in a little corner, in a loophole, and, and whatever they could catch him in so they could say, no, our version is the one... We're going to go by because your version is wrong, Jesus. So they bring this woman caught in adultery. Now, let me just say this. That's real sin. So if you're here today and somehow that's been rewritten for you, unright. That's a sin. That is a sin. And it's not just a sin. And I'm not hung up on adultery this morning. It's not just a sin because somebody cheated on somebody. That's not, you know, God didn't say, thou shalt not commit adultery because it's really going to mess some people's feelings up. No, it'll mess your feelings up. Any type of sex outside of marriage will mess you up. Oh, I know it feels good, guys. I'm not, I'm not lost. But, but that's just it. It's supposed to feel good in the right place, the right purpose. The reason it's a sin is because it does not fulfill the purposes of God. God wanted the marriage to be an example of who we are in Christ because you are the bride of Christ. And when you have adultery, you have now disrupted the purpose. So there's no doubt in her mind or even how they viewed the sin. Because they had gotten, the self-righteous person gets into a perspective where they don't even see the sin as having disrupted God's purposes, they just see the sin as you broke a rule. And it's not about redemption, it's about punishment. Because they bring her and they say, listen, according to Moses, we know what's supposed to happen. What say you, teacher? What do you say, Jesus? and Jesus doesn't even pay attention to them. Now, what does a self-righteous for us mean? It means we get to the place in our spiritual life where things are just a list of rules. Things just become a list of... Following Jesus isn't a relationship. It's a list of rules that we beat ourselves up with every day. And now, let's just talk about being self-righteous to ourselves because what self-righteous means is you think you're going to get righteous by yourself. This is good, but only three of you are acting like it. It means we can somehow make ourselves right with God. It means somehow I can work hard enough and I can do enough and I can live right enough and live perfect enough that I won't break any of the rules. But see, even the self-righteous knew that. That That's why it was important to hang around a lot of people who were having more problems than you. Because it's always easier to point to someone who's having a worse day and, and, and beat them down so you can feel better about your bad day. Um, it, it's, it's easier for me to say, man, you are really, you are a bad, bad person. You're so bad, I'm going to hang around you because as bad as I am, you're worse. Because on the list of things, I'm only a Four. You're a perfect 10. On the list, And see, we're all separated from God. We're all missing the purposes of God, but at least I feel now a little bit better about me missing the purpose than you missing the purpose. And I'm not trying to get you saved. I'm just trying to keep me covered. I'm just trying to feel better about me not, I'm not fulfilling the purposes of God. Now, I'm at church every Sunday, but I'm not fulfilling the purposes of God. Now, now, please listen. This isn't about being saved or unsaved. This is about thinking that you earn your salvation. This is about thinking that somehow you deserve to be saved and they deserve to be stoned. This is about you, it's okay for you, but not okay for them. It's, it's more about, it's, I'm, not, I'm not repeating this to try to hope it hits home eventually. What I am saying is the self-righteous person, self-righteous person is not them. It's us. It's us. It's us on, on one of two levels. I either think somehow, and this is why some of us beat ourselves up every day. Because we think somehow we've got to earn his love. So we, we live under the doormat of life. And we just try to get through. And we try to make sure we somehow impress God. I know I bring up toddlers a lot. I think it's because I know a lot of men. And I'm still one myself, all right? (laughs) I know know it hurts men, I'm sorry. I'm 58 years old and I still act like a toddler more than I want to admit, right? Right, Diane? Okay. Now, um, and by the way, on our Wednesday night, we're not having a toddler's class because we're all in the cafe. I just thought I'd throw that out there. Now, here's, here's why I bring up toddlers a lot. Because any of you who have children or grandchildren, have you ever seen those kids doing things that they just should not do? And have you ever looked at them and ever thought, man, what losers? I, they are never going to amount to any, Well, you know, don't confess any of this right now anyway but they are never going to amount to anything. I give up on them. I give up. No. As a matter of fact, I want to encourage you not to give up, even if they are 58. Um, don't give up on them, because I, I, uh, I've heard several testimonies over the last few weeks about people in their senior years giving their life to Jesus Christ. People in their 70s and 80s, accepting Jesus Christ before they die. Don't, don't give up hope. The Bible tells us why are we doing this. Paul tells us here's why we're preaching Jesus Christ, because we're wanting to bring everybody to full maturity. Some of us are slower than others. You know, Some people mature quickly, and then there's Anthony and I. Okay? <laughs> now, so here's, here's, what, here's what's happening here. The self-righteous, we either think it's something we do and we beat ourselves up, Or listen, self righteous means we think we're okay and we have no problem fixing everybody else. Can I just throw this out there? Because sin is real, guys. It's not about is sin real. And this message is primarily to those of us in the church. But can I tell you why the world doesn't want to have a lot to do with the church? A very common, a very common statement is thrown out when you talk to some people that have had involvement in the church. They'll say things like, it's filled with hypocrites. And, and they're right. And there's, there's nobody in this building that's perfect, guys. But it's not about being perfect. It's about trusting in Christ. But as we trust in Christ, if you judge them because you're self-righteous, they're not going to want to have anything to do with That's why it's easy for people to say, why would I want to do that? Why would I want to live that? If all we're doing is trying to drag them around, we may not think we're doing it, but we drag them around in our conversations, we drag them around in in our actions, and and they just feel like they've just been drugged out of a situation and pointed out. And then then that's what we wrestle with, somebody throwing back at us, well, you shouldn't judge. You shouldn't. Because if all you're trying to do is drag them out, you're not judging. You're condemning. It's very, very much different. The Bible says judge not lest ye be judged. Now, what's, what's the difference there? In the family of God, when we point out each other's sin to each other, it's not, you don't do it in the parking lot so 50 people can hear you. It's, it's in a grace group or in a, a Bible study when, and, and that's what, that's so, there's a, a Bible study, I, I tend to not to mention this because I don't want to embarrass Dr. Bucci, I think I do every time I call his name out, but they do a Bible study on Thursday morning. I'm telling you, um, men, and there's a few ladies that go to that, but men, if you want to find a place where iron sharpens iron, you just got to get up. It's at 6.30 in the morning. But there's business leaders who sit in there, and I just sit amazed at how they're able to communicate to each other, and banter and the Word of God is so powerfully coming across. What's happening? Um, you are forced to lay down your spiritual ego at the door, because this is about Jesus Christ, not about you, not about you find, trying to get your own way, not about you trying to do what you think you need to do. That's what, Another thing I love about it too is, and this is not a commercial, I apologize, Joe, it's It's men from so many different backgrounds and so many different churches. So there's not a denomination in there going, this is the way, walk in it. No, they're all sitting there looking at the Word of God, letting that be the mirror. Now, why why is that important? Because it's easy for us to get self-righteous. It's easy for us to get to the place where we're just pointing fingers, and instead of loving and restoring, we're condemning. So so there's that group, and we're going to get to how Jesus dealt with them in a minute, but then there's also, there are sinners. There are the self-righteous, and there are sinners. Do I need to say more? This, This poor woman is embarrassed, humiliated, isolated, if you will, from any protection. she's also abandoned because even in the midst of her sin it wasn't if people sin it was singling out the one you want to punish it wasn't if she was in sin she knew she was in sin she wasn't protesting everybody does this it's accepted in our culture now pastor come on get with the 21st century People are going to challenge you with the Word of God on that, by the way. Hey, it's the 21st century, man. Come up to speed. Listen, just because somebody votes sin as being okay doesn't mean it's okay. Just because it's the proverbial, if all your friends jumped off the bridge, would you jump with them? Remember your mom saying that when you were a kid? Everybody over the age of 50? Right? If, if everybody did that is just because everybody's doing it, does that suddenly make it okay? Just because a, a government or a nation or a country votes something into law, does that make it okay? Here, here's the challenge. It's us willing to be able to embrace, you know what, how I'm living is not okay. Now they drag her out, and we, we somehow have to think, That for us to be able to confess our sins before Jesus, we've got to come out of something. The only thing you have to come out of is the darkness. He is light. This isn't about everybody having to know your stuff. The only way people have to know your stuff is when you hang around self-righteous people. Because then they'll just find out your stuff. Because it'll be easier to point at you than themselves. So what about this young lady? She's caught in adultery. She's embarrassed. I can, I can only imagine. because listen, I can identify. I don't know about you, but just name the sin. I, I don't know about you, but again, this isn't about adultery. It's have I ever not been fulfilling the purposes of God? Have I ever allowed something to get in the way? Have I ever made something else an idol? Ha- have I ever decided, you know what? I'm going to do it my way. That sounds like a good song. So I'm going to make that my theme song. I did it my way. And, and all along, up until, I don't know what it took for you. I, don't, I know what it took for me. And, and listen, it might be a different wall for all of us, but there comes a time in our lives where we find ourselves before Jesus, and we're crying out, God, I can't believe I've ended up here. I can't believe. We might be embarrassed. It might be public. It might not be public, but we're before God, and we're embarrassed. But you know what Jesus does in, in all the accusers? Because he here's, here's a third point very quickly. There's a Savior. Yeah, there are the self-righteous. Yes, there are the sinners. But there is a Savior. And I love, because Jesus does with her what I know he does with all of us. When the people are standing around us going, that's him, Jesus. He's a rascal. I wouldn't trust him as far as I can throw him. He's lazy, too. Lord, we've seen him in action, and there's no action. We, we, we've seen him, in and, and he's, he's, he's a failure. He'll never add up to nothing. And see, while you're laying there in the middle of that, I hope I'm making sense, but while you're laying that in the middle of that misery, you start believing it. You start believing what you're hearing. And here's what Jesus does. I want you to picture this because Jesus just sort of kneels down. And the Bible says because he's not listening to them. You know, there's a passage, I, I, I've lost the, the text in my mind, but the woman had touched Jesus, who had the issue of blood, but Jesus was on his way to Jairus' house. And he said, yes, I'll go with you. And about the time Jesus left the crowd, the woman was healed. He said, your faith has made you whole. About the time he and Jairus started moving toward their house, friends from Jairus came and they said, don't bother the teacher anymore. The child is dead. Now here's what Jesus says, don't listen to them. Don't listen to what your sin is saying about you. Don't listen to what the enemy is saying about you. Don't listen to what people say about you. Listen to what God says about you. Because the world will stand back and say, see, we told you. But Jesus kneels down, and I know if you've heard this sermon preached before, We all sort of get hung up on whatever he was writing in the sand. And I'm going to tell you what he was writing in the sand. Only God knows what he was writing in the sand. That's exactly what he was writing in the sand. Because the Bible doesn't tell us. The Bible doesn't say anything about it. It just says he was writing something in the sand. Now, I I, I can sort of think about how I would get somebody's attention if I was writing in the sand. But Jesus, the Bible says, was just scrolling in the sand because he was not listening. But the whole time they were still challenging Jesus. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? See her? We caught her. in the act. Sinner. Loser. She needs to die right now. What do you say, teacher? Then he stands up, and I'm paraphrasing, but here's what he says. To the one who has no sin, you go first. See, he wasn't wasn't saying, yes, let's stone her. Or he wasn't saying, no, let's don't stone her. Because what he was saying is, yeah, there's guilt here. So he wasn't saying, let's stone her or let's don't stone her. He did not rationalize and cheapen sin Sin was sin. But what he said is, okay, whoever is without sin, you go first. And here, then, here's what the Bible says. Then he knelt back down. Because he didn't care about what they were going to say then either. So you just got to get to the point, and listen, I'm, I'm preaching to myself. I don't care if it's family, I don't care if it's friends, I don't care if it's workplace, I don't care if it's your enemies. You've got to stop listening to some things and start listening to the right things. Because when the world tells you you're bad, if you're not careful, you're going to believe it. When the world tells you there's no purpose, and listen, the world is not giving us a lot of hope for the future, the world doesn't give us a lot of purpose for the future, And can I tell you, I I truly believe the reason the mental health crisis is what it is. I do believe there's a lot of serious, real mental health issues. But I also believe a lot of mental health issues we put on ourselves is because we don't, we've been listening to the wrong voice, and we believe we're stuck in that forever. And when you feel stuck there forever, there's no hope. And when there's no hope, you can't even fathom a tomorrow. So when you're 18 years old and you can't fathom a tomorrow, you'll be depressed. When you're 40 years old and you've lost a job and and you've not got your shot yet, they're going to lower that, I think, eventually. I finally got my shot. I was old enough. Here's, Here's the bottom line. People are starting to get anxiety ridden and depressed over the simplest things because they've been listening to the wrong voices so long. And all along, Jesus is teaching us, listen, don't, don't listen. A young lady just this last week found out she had a disease, 35 or 36 years old. And I'm not, this is not a, an emotional gotcha moment, but when you're 36 years old and you blow your brains out, you've lost hope. She was diagnosed with MS. Her body started to lose energy and she was having a hard time walking and gave up. Listen, please listen to me. You cannot give up. You've got to hear Jesus. You've got to hear the words of Jesus speaking to your life and saying that the person who thinks they're perfect and got it all together, you go first. Now, here's what I love what happened in this passage. The Bible said that they began to leave, and I love that phrase that said, from the oldest to those that were completely gone. What, What does that tell me? Men, you never lose your ministry. Even if you've been a scoundrel up to today, when you leave this place today, you need to be the example of what you can be. Because there's somebody five years younger than you following. And there's somebody five years younger than them following. And and I don't mean start living like, hey, I'm the oldest in the room, shut up and let's go. No. No. Let your your life be an example. Even, are you ready? Even if sometimes your life example is, I am wrong. I was wrong. Please forgive me. That's how you do that, son. That's how you, here's how you say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And you say, well, I wasn't raised in a family like that. Honestly, neither was I. I was raised in a family that you said, I'm sorry to Jesus, you ask Jesus for forgiveness, and I love my dad. This is not about beating up our parents when we say this, but my dad, I don't think I ever heard my dad ever say I'm sorry. I don't think one time, if there was a problem in our family, if there's a problem in a relationship, I mean, all hell could break loose. And then you would be like, all right, when's the next grenade going to go off? And then my dad could walk in and say, okay, everybody okay? Everybody still alive? All right, let's go. Like nothing happened. So I never heard a man say, I'm sorry. Now, it had the reverse effect on me. I said, I'm sorry. I think I was trying to make up for my dad. <laughs> so we would leave. I'm sorry. I'm sorry for what he did. I, I don't know. He's not, he is sorry. He just doesn't ever say it. You know. So I'm sorry for him. Make sense? Because I've got people today who are saying, why are you saying I'm sorry? I'm saying, I'm sorry. I don't know. <laughs> I just say I'm sorry a lot. I'm just making sure because I know I'm going to mess up at some point, so I'm sorry in advance. Is that all right? So here's here's what's happening. We find ourselves in this life that that we know we have to model something. But, man, I don't want you to leave here guilt-ridden because you're not sure if you can model it. I'm telling you, the only way you model it is Jesus Christ. Because Jesus, after all these were gone, and, and I know there's a lot of different sermons in here, so I'm wrapping this up. There's a lot of stuff going on in this passage. But after they were all gone, Jesus stands up and he says, hey, where are your accusers, those that condemn? Where are your accusers, those that condemn you? And she said, there there are none. Neither do I. Now, this is the creator of the universe. The Savior of the world. I don't condemn you either. Was it really sin? Yep. But I'm, I'm not. He tells us in John chapter 3. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Because God did not send his son to the world to <laughs> condemn the world. But that through him they could be saved. He said, I don't, I don't condemn you either. Go and sin no more. Now, listen, I want us to pray in just a moment. Because it's not that we're one of those three people. You'll never be the Messiah. But I, I want to challenge you, and we're going to listen to this song in just a moment, and then we're going to pray. We're one of the two at times. We can can start feeling a little self-righteous and we've got our act together. And please, I'm not speaking that into anyone, but we've all been in those places where we feel like, okay, I got this now. All right, thank you, Lord. I've got this. And thank God somebody wrote, Jesus, take the wheel. Because at some point, it may take a mile, it may take 26 miles, but we're screaming, Jesus, take the wheel. Because we continually are back to the place where I can't do this on my own. You might be in a place where you've been outed or or you've just been going through a very public time and you're saying, I'm trying my best, but listen, it's never about your best anyway. It's God gave his best. Would you receive that? But then, about being the sinner. Maybe I've been away from God. Maybe I've not really been pursuing his purpose. Maybe I've been pursuing my own purpose. I wonder what it would be like to get back to a place. Let me just ask you this. Where's the joy? Well, Pastor, it's been COVID. Of course it has. Pastor, I'm, I'm str- there's some stuff that I'm walking through at home. There's going to be seasons, guys. But can I tell you, a joy is not an emotion. It's a confidence. It's a confidence. That I'm telling you the enemy wants to rob that confidence the enemy wants to destroy that confidence because he knows if he can, purpose is not being lived out. So I, I want us to listen to this song, please. And if you want to stand, if you want to stay seated, but please listen to the words of the song. And then we're going to have our prayer team come up and we're going to close in prayer. Amen. Amen. Let's all stand. I just want those uh, prayer team to come down real quick and just stand in the front. Listen, this is not coercion. I promise you right now that by the power of the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus Christ, if you're here today and you just need prayer, you feel beat up by life or you feel like you've been running down the wrong road, listen, it, it may not even be about salvation. You just need mercy. How many know the difference between mercy and grace? How many understand that, that there are times in our lives where we need mercy? It's not because we're trying to plead the case and we're pleading not guilty. It's we are guilty. So we need mercy. But the grace is God gives us what we don't deserve. Forgiveness, strength. So I want to encourage you. Just We're going to just have a time of prayer As we're dismissed, if you need prayer, please come down. We just bless you, and I pray that God would just use you mindedly. But if you need prayer, don't don't wait till next Sunday. We want to pray with you right now. Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, Lord, uh, we're dismissing from a facility, but not your presence. We're dismissing from a location. (laughs) But God, you're taking us all over this place. You're taking us from home to home because as we said this morning, now we're going back to our own homes. Lord, I pray that lives be changed by the power of your Holy Spirit. I pray that transformation take place. And Lord, whatever the needs may be, Lord, thank you for reminding us that you, we not, we're not chasing you, you're chasing us. Now God, go with us. Touch us, I pray, in the name of Jesus. And Lord, those that come forward, with pray. We just pray that you just meet every need touch lives give direction i pray lord thank you for intersecting our lives this morning in jesus name amen amen please come for-